I want to start with a story. But before I, I, I tell you that story, I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. I'm not, I'm not expecting answers just yet. Are you really saved? Are you really saved? And what does it look like to be saved? I want to start with a story. So that is a rock face. That's Jeanette belaying at the bottom. And that's Anya doing a lead climb. It's Anya doing a lead climb. Now, a lead climb is, and that's vertical. It looks a little bit on balance. It's actually vertical. This is in Montague. When we go on a congregational outreach in a few weeks' time to Montague, you can all come and try this. She, she's doing a lead climb, which means that the rope is tied to her. And as she's climbing up the rock face, there are anchors. Look midway. You can see there's an anchor around the rope. Can you see that in the middle of the rock, in the middle of the picture? It looks like a little clip. Can you see that? You guys seeing it? It's on the rock? Halfway up, below Anya. Halfway, there's one. And right at the bottom, there's one. And just below Anya, there's another. Can you see those? So those are anchors in the rock. As you climb, if you're lead climbing, when you get to one of those, you clip your rope into it. Why? So that if you let go or slip and fall, you will hang on that anchor. Does it make sense? Okay. And the higher you climb, of course, you need a new anchor. Otherwise, you fall to the next anchor that you've climbed away from. Make sense? So as you climb up, you have to clip into those anchors. And you can see Anya climbed to the top, and now she's coming back down. That's why the rope goes past it to the top and back down again. All right. Shani, you can go back to the previous picture. But as you can see above her, there's no rope there because she's still climbing up. That's how climbing works if you lead climbing. This is not really the story I want to tell. The story I want to tell is, this was just to give you an idea of what it's like. So you can keep it up, Shani. Um, I want to tell you about a time when I was really, really stupid. At the same rock, the same rock face, I started a climb, just like Anya did there. And I had the harness on, and I tied the rope onto myself. I checked that the knot was good. And I started climbing this rock. And my brother was belaying me. And he, doesn't have, he wasn't an experienced climber at the time. And he said, listen, shouldn't you like hook yourself safe? I'm like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. No problem. And I started climbing. And I was absent-minded. And I climbed past the anchors. And I climbed higher and higher past every anchor. And I thought that I was safe. It, I know, idiot, right? It sounds, it sounds like, how could you make that mistake? It's easy. I felt the rope on me. I thought I was safe. I climbed higher and higher and higher. And that's, how high is, rock, uh, is Legoland? Oh, it's a couple of meters, probably about 15 meters high, which is five stories. Okay, it doesn't look that big. It's tall. And I, I went higher and higher. My, and my brother said, Jock, wait, I'm... Uh, and I was like, no, I'm focusing. Don't worry, man. I've got this. And I just kept on climbing with a rope trailing straight from me to him, not attached anywhere on the rock. Me thinking I'm okay, me thinking I'm tied in, and I'm climbing, and I'm doing these, like, jump moves. It's not a, not a very hard route, but it's, uh, you know, I'm taking chances because I know I'm safe. I'm on the rope. I get to the top, the top, top anchor, and he's like, jog. And, he, and I look at him, and I see my rope go straight from me to him with no anchor on the rock. And I'm just holding on to the rock. Luckily, the top chains were at the top there, and I realized what I was doing. And, I, and it dawned on me, 
I could have died, right? At the slip of a hand, I could have died, and I can still die because I'm not secure. So I just, like, luckily, I had a bit of a grip, and I could just reach, and I grabbed those chains, and I was like, okay. And I, and I managed to take the rope and just hook it into the anchors next to me, and then I was safe again. But for that moment, I would have been so dead. You know, not injured. You would have been, so, like, it's so stupid. So do not try that at home. When you guys go with Chris and Sarah to the rock climbing gym, do not do that, okay? But that's what I did. I thought I was safe, but I really, really, really wasn't. And uh, that's, I was actually, I was delusional. I had a delusion. I was delusional about my security, and it almost got me killed. I thought I was safe. And the question I have for us, are we delusional in our safety in God? Do we think we are safe and we're not safe? And some of us are, some of us are not. But if you track with me, let's, let's, let's take this further, okay? How do you know you're safe? Because we need to know that we know. We need to have that insurance. The Bible speaks about we can do this with confidence because our eternal destiny is dependent on this. We have to have assurance of salvation. Or we can have false assurance. And sometimes we have false assurance. It will go like this. Somebody asks you, are you saved? And you go, yeah, I'm saved. I've said this in this prayer. I've been baptized. And you think back to a day a few years ago or a season ago when you did say this in this prayer and you did get baptized. You might have even experienced the Spirit. Because Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved, right? So that's, that's truth. That happened for me. I'm saved. And you can all remember that. If you, if, you, if, you're not, if you know you're not saved here, I'm not talking to you right now, but I definitely will talk to you later. But if you are saved here, you can remember a time when that happened, right? It's events in the past. Coming to church all your life, doing church things. I want to propose to you that that, that is a false assurance. So if that's all you hear tonight, it's not good. Don't run away now and phone people and say, we then say you're not saved. But that is, a, that is not your assurance. It's something that needs to be done, but it's not your assurance. Your confidence in salvation should not be on the fact that you said the sinner's prayer, that you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, or you experienced things. So what then would the evidence be that you are saved? I'm not asking what saves you. There's a difference. What's the evidence? What would it be that you are saved? Would it be that you pray to Jesus? Would it be that when you pray for people to get healed, that they actually get healed? Or people that are dead, you pray for them in Jesus' name, and they actually become alive again? Or when you pray for people that demons leave? That you always pray in Jesus' name, that you come to church, that you worship as amazing as this worship was, that you're part of this, that you experience the Spirit in this worship. Is that evidence that you're saved? That you do church things and come to church camps and come to youth and part of a home group, maybe even lead a home group. Are those things proof? Is it evidence that you're saved? Because this is a scary 
scripture. Matthew 7, 22. I think I have a different translation, but I'll read this here. Okay, let's do it this way. On that day, judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did were unauthorized. So they cited things that they thought was evidence for being saved. They're like, wait, 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 look at all this evidence. Think about this. And imagine then hearing, the things you did were unauthorized. I never knew you. You said the sinner's prayer. Sorry. So we can rely on false evidence. And that, that, that's a problem. And I don't want you to rely on false evidence. I want you to find out what's the real evidence so we can be certain of this. Like the rock climbing story, false evidence. We can be delusional. Our confidence can be based in the wrong thing. Mine was based on the fact that I had a rope tied to me, but that rope wasn't tied to the rock. So how do you know if you are okay with God, in fact, if you're really saved? And that's a good question to ask quite regularly, actually. We think, well, it's obvious, we saved, guys. It's a good question to ask. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. This is to believers, okay? It's to a church in Corinth. Paul writes, examine yourselves. Now, an examination is something quite thorough, right? It's not like, check it out. It's examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Not only examine, but also test. So you put it through the tests to see if you are in the faith. Christ is in you unless you fail the tests. Paul's writing this to the church. Examine and test. So we are urged to examine ourselves and test whether we are in the faith. He's saying this to believers. So all those people have definitely said this in his prayer, definitely been baptized. It's to a church. So that's the question. Scripture does give us measures to see whether we're saved. Very clear, very plain. I'm going to go through a few of them. There are many. There are really many. And if you read 1 John, the book of 1 John, it's very clear. And it says the same things over and over, almost as if it's important. Over and over, it tells you how you know that you are saved. And I want to propose that if you don't see that kind of evidence in an increasing manner in your life, I don't know if you are saved. Now you're like, okay, what's the evidence? But you might say, oh, but what about John 3.16? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the same John that wrote that, that wrote one John. So let's see what he says on this side, okay? 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16. Stop loving this world and all it offers you. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, so that, firstly, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, three things, desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Very clear, three things that is not from the Father. So if you love those things, it's not from the Father. He's making this clear. This is the same John that said he's the apostle of love, right? 
that wrote John, the book of John. But this is the thing. This is what Satan offers us in the world. Satan is in the world, and he offers us these things, those three things. And if you still have a price that Satan can pay in this world, chances are you will pay it because you're worth that much to him. If there's something in the world that Satan can give you for your soul, chances are you will pay it. He did. He offered it to Eve. So the first encounter he has with mankind, he tries those three things, physical desires, material desires, and pride and oppositions. He told her, in, in, we, read in, we read in Genesis 3, 6, the fruit looked fresh and delicious. There was a physical desire. Then material desires. It's stuff, it's for like stuff we own or just stuff that we want to have, like knowledge. Eve desired this knowledge. And then thirdly, he told her, you'll be like God. So it's pride. Like, I'm important. I'm getting attention or I know more. Those are the three things. And it worked. It worked. That's why, that's why, well, not maybe why, but Adam followed her, big mistake, and then you have the fall of sin. He tries it again with Jesus. When you read it in Matthew 4, tries the same three things. He tries physical desires when Jesus is led into the desert. He gets, he gets tempted by loaves of bread, physical desires. He gets tempted by material desires. Satan tells him, I'll give you all the world. And then he tempts him with pride, profile, or status. The angels will tend to you. Now, luckily for us, Eve failed the test, but, but in Matthew 4 verse 9, Jesus passed the test. He didn't fall for those things. And he said, get out of here, Satan. Literally, get out of here. And he quoted scripture. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He didn't argue with Satan that Satan could dangle anything in front of him. That it wasn't Satan's to dangle. Satan could give those things because he actually has temporary access to this world. Luckily, it's temporary. So he can pay you any price in the world. He can pay that to you. So the question is, do you have a price? Is there something that you go, okay, if I get offered this thing, I'm out of here, I'm out of church. What will you turn your back on God for? Will it be a career? Like if somebody says, hey, there's this job, a million dollars a year in the Maldives. The catch is there's no church. You know, Satan can, I'm sure Satan can organize that. If he knows you, you'll, you'll, you'll buy it, you know. You'll pay any price in the world. What will cause you to become disobedient? Think, what are the things that might cause you to become disobedient? Money, fame, career, family, yourself, love of self, a nice place. Maybe something negative, maybe an offense, maybe a hurt. I won't go to church anymore because I feel hurt. Any of those things, Satan will rub those things in. If you still have a price, are you saved? We may look okay. We may grow up in church, worship you even like this. But if, if you still have a price, check with the Lord. Check with the Lord if you're saved. 
Because if you still have a price, Satan can go, he can wait his time, he knows you well, and some days you're strong. Lord, I only have eyes on you. Other days things go wrong, and you're down in the dumps, and Satan just waits. The word says he waits like a prowling lion, and he looks for weakness. Okay, you're weak now, and he comes and dangles that thing. If you have a price, he's probably going to offer that. This is coming across a lot heavier than I thought, but okay. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody here, okay? This, I'm just, this is just scripture, and it'll be cool if tonight you do a personal audit. Okay, like in your heart, you, look, you consider the word, and then measure yourself against the word. That's what the Bible does. One of the only, the only book that actually does that by the Spirit, right? So I w- I'd like to get out of the way and just present you with the scriptures of this. This is definitely not my opinion. I let scripture do the talking. So 1 John gives four, uh, they give many, but I want to touch on four clear tests. There are other things like uh, John, 1 John says you need to be living in the light. That would be evidence. Um, acknowledge that you have sin, that would be evidence. Not love the world, we've touched on that. Uh, remain in the body, those are all evidence if you do these things. That you acknowledge Jesus, not listen to the messages of the world. In 1 John, those are all things that John says, if you, if you do that, it's evidence that, that you are saved. I'm not even touching on those. Okay, first test is the test of believing. But I mean really believing. No, it says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, what does that believing really mean? 1 John 5.13, he says this. I write these things to you who believe. You can say already believe, okay? In the name of the Son, that you may know that you have eternal life. So it's a continued believing. So you must keep on believing. It can't be once I said the sinner's prayer and I believed. No, it's a continue, it's a present continuous thing. We are only saved by faith, not by works. So don't get confused on this. Works is evidence of your faith. Okay? You are only saved by faith. John says that very clearly. Paul says that, they say it all over. Absolutely. But these evidences I'm looking at now is proof. It's evidence of that. This evidence can't get you saved. In John 20, the original, not one John, but John, it says, by believing you have life in him. It's the same John that writes this. So you can be sure in it, not double-minded. And it's one thing to believe in God and believe that Jesus is the only way to God and believe that he can save you. But it's another thing completely to believe that he saved you. You might know about him, but do you believe in him? Has he done that for you? You might know that he can do that, but you, have you allowed him to do that for you? There's a difference. The one is you're in church and you hear the message and yes, it makes sense and you read apologetics and it all makes sense. Okay, yes, I believe God can do that. But it's a different thing to go, okay, Lord, I receive that you've done that for me and you let him in and you surrender to him. Those two things are different. As a Christian, you believe that for yourself. It's for yourself. 1 John 2, verse 24 says, you must remain faithful, remain faithful, continue to live in fellowship. It's an indicator. 1 John 2, verse 26, there's a warning. It says, you need to be aware of those who want to lead you astray, of deceivers, people telling you, no, you're okay, just keep on going with 
It's okay. Don't worry about the evidence. People are going to try and lead you astray in the church and in the world. They try to deceive you. And you will think you're okay when you're not. You think you're secure to the rock where the rope's actually just retired, just tied to you, but not to the rock. If you let go at that time, Satan would love to have you think that you're safe when you're not. When you're driving in a car at high speed, Satan, if that's a spiritual metaphor, then Satan would love to make you think your seatbelt's on when it's not on. You get that picture. Have you ever done that? Have you ever driven somewhere, relaxed, drive the way you drive, and when you stop, or somehow, you know, after you've driven a while, you go, my safety belt's not on. Has that happened? Or is it just me? Because it happens to me quite a lot. It happens. And then you're like, quickly, quick, get it, and then it's locked. You know, then it's like, and like, you know, okay, I'm safe. Okay. Huh? That's what this is. That's what, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not really safe. I thought I was safe. My belt was here all the time, but it's not clipped in, you know? That's this. Don't think you're safe when you're not. So the first test is test yourself if you really believe that it's for you. The second test is the test of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13 says, God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and in us. So if you have His Spirit, that is proof. That's one of the, that's proof. It says it in the Word. By this we know that we abide in Him and in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. So if you have that, that's proof. Romans 8.16 speaks about the Spirit of Sonship. It says, His Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. That's what the Spirit does. Not a mental reasoning. Not, no, I confessed. I know in my head. I did confess. I believed in my heart. It happened 15 years ago. I was baptized. I'm saved. Not if you don't have the Spirit in you now. You must have the Spirit. The Spirit gives assurance. A memory of a scripture doesn't give assurance. The Spirit itself, the man, gives assurance. All right. The third test. And this is probably, probably the biggest one for me. The test of obedience. 1 John 2 verse 3 to 6 says this. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Simple. That's, an, that's evidence. If you keep His commandments, you know you are saved. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, a pretender. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love for God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Obedience, guys. That's the way to know whether, we, whether or not we live in him. You will know. If you're obedient, you know. It's, it's light and dark. It's truth and false. If you're obedient, if you do what he says in his word, his commandments, what's on his heart, you can say, yeah, but no, no, wait a minute. I don't have to be obedient. I'm saved by faith, right? Didn't we just say I'm saved by faith? It's true. But the word says faith is nothing without obedience. Obedience is the proof that you really do have faith. Otherwise, it was false faith. It wasn't faith. 
So you don't get saved through obedience. You, you will never be able to do this. You cannot just stay and try and be obedient thinking you're going to, be, going to get saved that way. That's works. It will not work. And you'll burn out. You'll get too tired. You'll get disillusioned. You'll probably leave the church. That's not how you can get saved. You get saved by faith. But to check if your faith is real, see if you're obedient. If you're obedient, you go, okay, yes, my faith actually is real because I'm obedient. I'm following guys. It's not fuzzy. It's not like this mystical thing. It's straightforward. You're obedient or not. 1 John 3, verse 7 to 8 says, don't let anyone deceive you, deceive you about this. That's good. That's fine. When people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. So here's negative evidence. Because you have, I've now touched on evidence that you belong. Now, under obedience, you get this. If you actually are disobedient and keep on sinning, you belong to the devil. They can't keep on sinning. If, if saints, saints can't keep on sinning because they have been born of God. Okay. These are heavy words, but they're not mine, guys. Really. But... Um, just bear with me. Just carry with me. I'm not saying you must be without sin. Okay? I'll get to that. I'm not saying never, we never sin. John, 1 John 5 verse 18. Those who are part of God's family do not make a practice of keep on sinning. Yeah. My translation here said does not make a practice. So it's not a habit. Something that you're unrepentant of. Yeah, I've got this thing, but it's okay. There's grace. I can keep on sinning in this, in this area, whatever it is. And you can name whatever sin there is. I mean, we all can think of 10 right now. But it's about not making a practice of sinning. So what am I saying? Because I'm not saying that you must be sinless. We can try to be, but we can't. It's just we we fall and we can't be sinless. But when you are saved, your relationship with sin changes. When you're not saved, you're not that fussed about whether you sin or not. You're like, glad I got away with that one and just keep going. And often you enjoy sin because often sin feels good. And you, you're just happy about it. You move on. You're not really bothered. But when you are a Christian and you sin, you don't like it. The Spirit convicts you. You hate that you did it. It irks you. It breaks your heart that you did it. You don't want to do it again. That's the difference. It might even be the exact same sin, but you cannot keep on sinning. You cannot make a practice of sinning. That's what they're talking about here. You can't make a practice. You wouldn't want to make a practice of it. But if you're not saved, you are okay with tolerating your sins. Even sins that above your moral standards might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but when you've done them, okay, moving along, then you're not saved. It's, you just come to repentance and it's all fine. So be careful of those kind of things. This is another evidence. If you think it's okay to keep on with the same sin, unrepented sin, you're making a practice of it. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. I'm not talking about that, guys. It would be super hypocritical, especially for me to say, we shouldn't have sin. We all sin, unfortunately. Hebrews 2 verse 1 speaks about, for, I said, Paul, we don't know, right? They speak about, be careful that you don't slip away. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And that is almost a nautical term, a boat 
that's moored by a jetty or anchored somewhere. And then as the tide changes, the circumstances change, and the moorings slip. And as the tide moves, the boat moves away slowly, gently. That's, that's this term about falling in sin. And he's warning believers, be careful that you don't slip away, you don't drift away. So firstly, you definitely can drift away, otherwise why would he say it? So be careful. And secondly, that's how it happens. By entertaining, tolerating, tolerating your sin, keep on making a practice of it. You harden your heart. Ah, oh, this is not so bad. I'm still okay. You know, I haven't received any lightnings recently. You know, I'm okay still. You know, slowly drift away. It's not okay. When you say it, you can't tolerate it. You do all you can to avoid it. If you have a drinking problem, you will not go into a bar because you want to stay away from it. You will try and flee from sin. Everything changes when you're saved. There's an upwards trajectory towards being obedient, more and more obedient. Obedience, somebody quoted this, quoted this. I think it was Mervis said this. Obedience is the default desire and trajectory of a child of God. As a default, you want to grow in obedience. That gives you assurance. So if you know you're obedient, you have assurance of salvation. If you keep on with the same sin, you're probably not saved. I'm not talking about slowly getting free of sin, so I'm not trying to condemn anybody here. You're getting what I'm saying about this. It's not a heavy about, you know, if you sin, that's it. Not at all. But if you don't have the desire to be obedient, then you're probably not saved. You must have the desire to please and to be pleasing to the Lord because He saved us. And not a robot kind of obedience. He doesn't want that. That's not real love. It's a real desire to be pleasing to Him. Okay. Fourth one is the test of love. Now, John was the apostle of love. And he says this very plainly, 1 John 3, 14. If we love our brothers, it's proof that we have passed from death into eternal life. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Straightforward. If you don't love, you're abiding in death. You're not saved. These are like, it's straightforward, but they're quite heavy, eh? You're expecting prayer and prophecy and all kinds of stuff as proof. And there are these things. Simple, love. What will show you that you have love for your brothers? You will want to have people in your house. This is a practical example. I'm not saying if you don't never invite anybody, you're not saved. These are just a little indicator, okay? You will have love for people that irritate you. You will, even for them, not just your buddies, not the people that you do the same things with, you know? I remember when I came, I came to Josh Jen, I was, I was quite keen into, into free diving. I didn't like surfers. Sorry, Nikki, I didn't like surfers. And I, was, I thought they were like little rubber people that just bounce in the waves, you know? And I was like, at least I come home with a fish, you know? It's kind of thing. And so I meet, I, I meet Nikki, and Nikki was this, just this cool guy. I'm like, whatever, you're a surfer. And, and I never really, for the first few months, I didn't connect really. But now he's one of my best friends. Not, he didn't start diving. I didn't start surfing. But Jesus. But the Lord. You know, we, we didn't like surfers. They thought they were cool. You know? And I was like, you're not cool. You're splashing on waves. You know? Just like playing. I did that in the bath when I was little. You know what? You know? Yeah, little T-Rex. And, 
But then I got to know him as a person. And others, lots of, I'm getting glaring eyes from, yes, my brother-in-law, another one. Also a surfer. So, I spit on it. Look, I enjoy surfing, okay, just for the record. But, but it wasn't that that, got us, but that made us brothers. It was God's love, like spending time with Him and going, okay, no, I see Jesus in you. Let's, let's have fellowship. And that is, that's what, what, what bound, bound us. Yeah. And He's one of my best friends. Matthew 5, 47 says, if we just love our friends, we just like the unsaved people. Another way that shows whether you love is your bank statement, what you spend your money on. Do you give? Not, I'm not even talking about tithing. I'm talking about just giving. Who do you give it to? What do you do with your money? That'll show. What your calendar looks like, what your diary looks like, where you spend your evenings. I mean, you guys are here. Well done. You know, that's, that's proof. You know, not not saying you get saved by being here, but if you have a lifestyle that you can see on a calendar and a diary that you are devoted, that's proof. Jesus loved me at my worst. So how can I not love other people? 1 John 3, 18 to 19, let us stop saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. It is by our actions that we know we are living in the truth. It's not by our actions that we get saved, but our action let us know that we're living in the truth. And then we can be confident when we stand before the Lord. So this is evidence, guys. Four things. Do you really believe and trust in Jesus? Has there been recent evidence of that? Two, do you have the Holy Spirit that testifies to you that you belong to Him? Three, are you obedient to the Lord and His commandments? is the evidence of repentance, because there has to be, because we all miss the mark. But then we come back to Him. We can do that tonight again. And fourth, do you love the people of God? Do you love them? Salvation is by faith alone, but these things are evidence. Do you have them? Check yourself. Can't force you to do things. It won't work if you try this as a recipe to get yourself saved. You'll just burn out. You choose to believe, and then you allow him to overwhelm you with his love. Just surrender to him. So how are we looking? Is, is your rope tied to you and to the rock? Or is it just going straight down to your B layer and you're five stories up the rock? Are you locked in? Am I saved right now? Yeah, I'll tell you yes. Tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. God says, pick up your cross daily. So it keeps me humble. I'm going, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to remain obedient. It's a continuous thing. My God is up now, but tomorrow maybe my God is down. Are you guys saved? It looks like it, definitely. I don't know for sure. God knows. So in your conscience, you sort that out with the Lord. At what point does your lifestyle Reflect the one who owns you. At what point does your lifestyle, everything we spoke about, reflect the one who owns you? In Psalms 139, David says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. David was anxious. Danny, could you guys come back up, please? Thank you. He says, search me. 
See if there's any offensive way in me. And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. How often do we ask the Lord, okay, Lord, search me. Is there anything that's offensive to you? Is there any disobedience? Is there anything that's not like you? Help me change that. Lead me in the way everlasting. The cool thing is, if we do test ourselves and we fail, we can repent and draw near to God and praise Him. Yay. If we test, and if we test ourselves and we pass, we go, God goes, yes, well done. We also draw near to God and we praise Him. Either way, you, end, you draw near to God and praise Him. So we can look up to Him and just praise Him and worship Him for who He is and how He saves us. So if you, if you realize, if you've gone through these things and you realize that your life does not reflect these things, and there are many more, but at least these things, what now? It's simple. Just recommit to Him. Just allow Him to overwhelm you. Like, like David said, to be led, lead you in the way everlasting. Let him lead us. The, the way everlasting is glorious. It's beautiful. It's, it's what Jesus has for us. It's what he died for. He could endure the cross for the joy set before him. And we can join him in that. Jesus prays in John 17, same John that wrote, wrote it. Let them be one as you and I are one. He wants us there. Let the Father draw you near. Allow Him to draw you near. And if you feel now, now I believe in God, but some of these things is not evident in my life. Just come to Him. Just say, Lord, help me. I want to. Surrender to Him. You cannot make those things happen, but you have control over your own mind, and you can, you can surrender yourself. Only you can do that. God won't surrender you. He can talk to you, He can tell you, He can show you, but He won't do that for you. So are you sure? Are you sure you have that evidence? If not, just surrender now, just in your heart. And if you've never been sure that you're sure, you can do that for the first time as well. 